مرکز صحابہ آن لائن ریڈیو السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ اینڈ ویلکم بیک ٹو ٹیکنالوجی واچ Today we're going to talk about one of the most contested topics around technology and that is children and technology. Should we let children use technology? And if so, what's the limits? How much is enough? And also very importantly, should schools use technology in education? And if so, how do they go about it? First things first, let's talk about technology and children. Now, a lot of parents raise this concern that should my child be allowed to use technology should i u- let my child have a cell phone a tablet a computer a gaming device or one any one of the loads of technology gadgets that are out there now there's no simple straightforward answer to that but what we need to do as parents as adults is to look at the world around us and see what kind of a world we are living in We're living in a technology-driven world. No one can deny that. No one can stick their head in the ground and say, well, there's no technology all around us. Technology is everywhere. We're using technology, whether it's in our pockets or it's in our cars or it's in our homes, in our businesses. It's in the airplanes that we use to travel from place to place. It's everywhere. Now, with that in mind, keeping that in mind, Our children are growing up in that age, in that day and age when they are surrounded and totally surrounded by technology. Those of us that are 30, 30 35 years and older, we'll remember a time without most of this technology. The most advanced technology when I was growing up was a pocket calculator. That was fascinating. Here's this tiny little device that can do all sorts of calculations. And then came computers, these little 8-bit machines that used to connect to the back of a TV. That was about it. But as time went on, we saw technology coming into existence. We saw newer and newer technologies. Then this thing called Internet suddenly came about that had all kinds of information to offer. And today, we got that Internet right in our pockets. So these children that were born after 1995, 1996 onwards... They don't know a life without this technology, even though we know a life. We've seen a life without this technology. So these kids are what we call digital natives. They've been born into it. They live in it. For them, there's no life without mobile phones. There's no life without internet connectivity. There's no life without social media. So they need it to thrive. They need it to, in a way to survive. But not just that. When you look at today's job market, who are the people at the most biggest advantage? It's those people that have access to technology, that have skills with technology. Whether it's in profession or it's in business, whether it's in uh, law or medicine or engineering or accounting, no matter the, the field that you that you are in even agriculture if you have technology skills you are at an advantage compared to those that don't have technology skills so now keeping this in mind we can answer the question should children have access to technology the answer in my opinion is yes children should have access to technology and they should have access but with a condition that they're using it for good They're using it for something constructive. They're using it 
for something that will advance their careers going forward. And then on the other hand, you got technology as a way of passing time or entertainment or worse still for doing things that are wrong, for looking at things that are wrong. Obviously, those things are completely off the table. I mean, where, you know, we understand when you're looking at uh, things like cell phones and internet, there's a lot of evil out there. There's a lot of harm out there. But the question is, does the good overcome the harm or not? Does the good outweigh the harm, the evil out there or not? So now we've got the good things that can happen with technology and we've got the evil things that can happen. But in between now, you've got these things like social media, WhatsApp chatting, Facebook, etc., which if they're used for good, can lead to lots of good. And if they're used for bad, can lead to really serious problems. Now, let me give you an example. A person, person A, has access to Facebook and uses Facebook for marketing his business. He contacts prospective customers. He displays his goods. He puts out prices. He puts out daily Facebook posts. He puts out posts on Instagram. And people see these and they come and they purchase his, his, his items that he has on offer. Fantastic. Phenomenal. Now he's got a way of earning a halal risk, of earning a good halal income through this technology. But then person B, on the other hand, has taken the completely wrong end of the stick. He's using Facebook to chat with Ghir Mahram females that are not his wife. He's using it to try and spark up relationships that are not the good type of relationships. And he's using the internet to look at pictures, to look at things that he shouldn't be looking at. Now, who do you blame for this? Do you blame the technology or do you blame the user? The one person is using technology for his business. Let's bring in a third person, a third example. You got this person who is on social media, who's got a blog, who's got a a, 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 a a podcast channel where he dispenses information about deen. He dispenses information about his religion, about Islam. He gives people advice through social media, through his website, through his blog, through his podcast. All the time, he's reaching out to people all over the world and he's doing what? He's inviting people towards the good. Now, that's the third person. You see, we've got A, a business person who is earning a good legitimate income for himself and his family. Then we've got a person, a scholar, who's using the internet for research and for learning and teaching. And then you've got a person who's using the internet for bad things, for things that, that are a waste of time. He's spending hours on YouTube. He's spending hours on Netflix. He's spending hours on Facebook, just chatting, idly chatting to the wrong types of people. Now, again, my question, who do you blame? Do you blame the technology or do you blame the user? Obviously, any intelligent person will tell you that you'd blame the user. You don't blame the technology. Let's take another example, a knife. You take that knife, you use it in your kitchen for the normal uses. You, you're cutting a fruit, you're dicing some veggies, etc. The knife is good. Now, you take that knife to attack a human being and suddenly you're using the knife for evil. What's the common factor? It's not the knife. It's you. It's the user. 
the user is at fault, not the device itself, not the object itself. So now, when we talk about technology, we need to be very clear about that. And this is one of the biggest mistakes we make in a emotional state we get all worked up and we start blaming technology friends there are people that are listening to my voice in so many different countries right now you are listening to me speaking i am teaching you something about technology i'm teaching you something about your religion i'm using it for good so why should we blame technology when things go wrong we don't blame technology we blame the people that have done the bad the people that are doing the good or the the evil so now what do we do to curb that i'll come back to that so coming back to technology now if we teach our kids let's consider an ideal scenario a happy day scenario where our kids like person a and b like the business person and the scholar they're using technology for good they're using technology to forward their businesses or to advance their careers or to enlighten themselves. They're doing online courses. There's some ulama that run courses on, on sira and tafsir online. Now, if a person is using it for all of this and a person is using it to reach out to people, then that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal use of technology. That's a beautiful use of technology. Now, how do we get that? What is the way to reach that ideal scenario and avoid the bad? I mean, this is the essence of, of Islam, isn't it? Ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhauna anil munkar. You guide people towards good and you forbid them from evil. How do we guide our kids towards the good with technology and how do we keep them away from the evil? Let me tell you how it's not done. It's not done by shunning technology altogether, by banning them from technology. That's not the way it's going to happen. Because in that way, we're not teaching our kids to use technology responsibly. We're just shying away from our responsibility as adults, as parents, as teachers, from teaching them proper use of this technology. Rather than shying away from it, rather than using what I call the ostrich mentality and sticking our heads in the ground and hoping the problem goes away, we should be teaching our kids to use technology responsibly. Son, daughter, this is the good, this is the evil, and this is the path in between. Don't tread that evil path. Tread the good. Find all the good. Here are your options. And I'll give you some examples now. All the good that's happening using technology. United States in San Francisco there's a young man who is sitting in his house and teaching kids all over the world maths and science. This young man's name is Salman Khan. No, he's not that Salman Khan that some people might know about, the Bollywood Salman Khan. This is a different Salman Khan. He's a Muslim youngster who built a massive online reputation. He's got millions and millions and millions of followers. Doing what? He sat at home and he started teaching people math and science. He started teaching firstly his own nieces and then more and more and more people picked up on that. And they started requesting more and more videos and he gave them just that. And what happened? His popularity grew. 
Now you see, here's an example of a person that's using technology for immense good. He's got a following around the world. His videos are being translated into a number of languages. In the same way, there are so many radio stations that have now gone to the internet, like this one and the podcast, where people are using technology for disseminating knowledge. Let me give you another example. There's a group of women. You'll find their website uh, online. I'll give you the link later on. There's a group of women who found that the suicide rate among American youth is very, very high, especially the girls. And there's a number of reasons for this which we're not going to delve into. So what they decided was they decided to start a little website where they invite girls to talk to them, to counsel them, to become their friends, to pour out their hearts if they're having an issue. It could be a simple issue, but then the child doesn't know how to deal with it, and then she goes and commits suicide, and then there's a whole lot of grief for everybody, and there's a whole lot of regret for the parents. So these women, they put their minds together, and they came out with this website. Now that's another phenomenal use of technology. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that we can all, not just one or two people, we can all use technology for good. Let me give you another example. I've got students all over the world. I personally, I teach people how to design websites and how to, how to program computers. I've got students all over the world. The one I'm proud, the most proud of, I've never actually met. She did a course by me online. This is uh, a woman who, is, who observes uh, niqab, full niqab. I've never seen her. She's never seen me, but she's done my online course. And then she's now doing her own web design business. And she works with her clients in the same way also. Everything over email. She never sees them. They never see her. Monies are transferred. Websites are, d are developed. And she's doing well for herself. Now, here's another phenomenal use of technology. We need to be teaching our kids how to use this technology. Now, question. Where do they get that knowledge from? They get the knowledge from parents and from schools. Now, here there needs to be a, a combination, there needs to be a partnership between parents and schools to bring technology into our children's lives and to teach them to use technology responsibly. Please, child, don't waste your time on Instagram, don't waste your time on Facebook, don't waste your time on Netflix and YouTube and, and chat groups. Use technology for all the good that's out there. And I think, personally, if schools are shying away from that, then we're doing our children a great injustice. But even where schools do bring technology in, they can't just do it willy-nilly. They need to do it in a structured manner. They need to do it in a way that that is constructive rather than in a way that will cause the whole scheme to backfire. Okay, so the next question on your mind is, okay, you encouraging parents and schools to uh, give kids technology, to give them opportunities to use technology, and you're also saying that they must use technology constructively. Give us some ideas. What, in what ways can children use technology constructively? There are literally thousands of apps out there that are actually really good for children. 
But fortunately, in this episode, we've shortlisted a few which Masila is going to tell us all about. Masila, what are the apps out there that are really good for children? Tell us, uh, list a few for us and tell us how they are going to benefit kids. You're right. There are just so many apps and websites like this on the internet. And I've just made a list of a few of my favorites. So, at number one, if you have kids who are in school and they're battling with maths or English and um, maybe they don't, you don't want to send them to a tutor, there's wonderful websites like you've mentioned, like Khan Academy, that have these courses online for free. All you have to do is create an account and start learning. My Khan Academy also has an app, isn't it, for, for mobile devices? That's correct. If you have an, uh, a phone or a tablet, you can get the Khan Academy app. My second choice would be learn how to code. And again, there are so many uh, websites and apps. Two of my favorites are CompuKids and Code.org. Now, hold on. What, what's the meaning of coding? Does it have anything to do with breaking some passwords and things? Well, not exactly, but somewhere along those lines. Coding means um, learning how to program a computer. And, and there's so many fields that, that you can get into, um, especially that kids can get into, um, when it comes to, to coding. And a, a few benefits of learning how to code is it, it sharpens your mind. It, it boosts your creativity and it actually helps kids in, in subjects like maths because coding makes you think logically. Now, kids play games all the time and learning how to code, they can actually start to make their own games. That's impressive. So coding is more or less like, like maths of the 21st century. I agree. And in my opinion, a lot more useful to, to kids, especially kids who have access to technology all the time. My third favorite thing will be learn a language. Um, there's, again, amazing websites and apps like Duolingo or Babbel that you can learn languages from French, Zulu, Afrikaans, Spanish and even Arabic. So if, you, if you've ever wanted to speak Arabic or learn how to understand the Quran while you're reading, this is a perfect place to start. And my final, um, my final app is an app called Insight Heart. Now, this app is only available if you have an iPhone or an iPad. Apple has introduced a new feature into their iPhones called Augmented Reality. Now, this lets you use your camera and bring in an object from your phone into real life. And you can move your camera around this object and look at it from different angles. Now, obviously, a massive uh, benefit of this is uh, in education. For example, in, in, in biology, there is an app called Inside Heart that will let you look at a 3D model of a heart. And you'll be able to move your tablet or phone around this heart You'll be able to dissect it. You'll be able to go into it and look at all the veins and arteries. And there are apps like this for observing the stars, observing the planets, um, observing uh, the whole human body as well. That's amazing because now you you got access to organs. You, you can learn about the organs. You can appreciate Allah's creation just on your cell phone. So augmented reality means that you're looking at it in your screen. It looks... Through your screen, it looks as if it's in the real world, but it's not really there. It's actually a, 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 a almost like a hologram. And as you're moving your phone around, 
you can see the other angles of it. And from what I understand about these apps, you can actually take apart that heart, you can see inside the, the different chambers. And I've, I've also come across this one biology app, I don't know if you know about it, where you can dissect an animal and look at its innards. Correct. There is, uh, they do have that app. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. But um, another thing that this app, apps like these will allow you to do is actually animate the organs. So, for example, the heart, besides just looking at it and looking inside it, but you can animate it and, and look at, at how it actually uh, beats and how the blood flows in and out of it, how the blood gets uh, the oxygen. That is phenomenal. To be able to learn about these intricacies of Allah Ta'ala's creation is, is really phenomenal. So you've named quite of you know some really good uh, apps here but uh, there's there's thousands more and i i'm sure just by doing a search on the app store we can find more so in conclusion when we talk about technology and kids or even technology and us as adults we should be very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. don't completely discard technology because of a few evils that are out there. Look at the good, look at the immense good that technology can bring to the table. Look at the immense opportunities for education, for communication with people around the world. Look at the immense opportunities to touch people's lives, like those ladies that are running the online uh, counseling. It's phenomenal what these people are achieving with technology. And I think if we learn to use technology responsibly and we as adults, we become role models for our kids and we teach them how to use technology responsibly, then we'll find that there's only good coming out of it. And that's it for today's show. And uh, we hope to catch our listeners again next week. This is The Amazing Beauty of Creation. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Talha Katrada. And this is the show that brings you up close with the universe around you. Welcome back to ABC, The Amazing Beauty of Creation. Now we've been uh, away for some time, Talha. We, uh, things have been hectic and we haven't been doing much recordings. Mm -hmm. But uh, people have been asking and uh, we've been under pressure from... Uh, people who enjoyed the podcast to actually uh, keep recording. So I think now we, we're going to be more consistent about it. We're going to try and release an episode at least every week. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the bees, the, one of the most amazing creations is the bees, tiny as they are, so amazing in fact that Allah Ta'ala chose to name an entire surah of the Qur'an after them. So Surah Nahal is the 16th surah of the Qur'an and this one is named after specifically the honeybee. So that's the one thing. And inside the surah there's, there's a couple of mentions about the miracle of the honeybee. Allah Ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحْلِ أَنِ اتَّخِذِي مِنَ الْجِبَالِ بُيُوتًا وَمِنَ الشَّجَرِ وَمِمَّا يَعْرِشُونَ So this ayat, this verse means that Allah Ta'ala has awha, 
Allah Ta'ala used the word awha. Awha is usually used for inspire, inspiration. So your creator inspired the honeybee that it needs to create its home, meaning hives, in the mountains, in homes. Buyutan means homes. Basically any structure uh, created by humans. Wamina Shajari and in the trees, Wamin Mayarishun and in the trellises. Now the trellises are those structures that you'll typically find in in grape farms that actually hold the grape vines up. So the bees have received inspiration. Now we can translate that inspiration further into instinct. So instinctively the bees have been taught to uh, create their or to to make their hives uh, in mountains and structures, trees, trellises, etc. So we understand here that the act of making those hives is inspiration. It is instinct. It is something that the bees have been taught, and the way that the hives are constructed, the shapes in which they are constructed, the way in which they are run and managed. They're almost like beautiful little cities. You know, we, we talk about green cities. We talk about uh, cities that are, uh, that are uh, eco-friendly. So the beehives are already there. They're eco-friendly. They are efficient. They have so much going on in there. But I'm not going to get into all of that right now because we're going to do that over the next few episodes, aren't we, Tala? Absolutely. There's just so much to talk about bees. It would be a, an injustice to them to try and squeeze it all into one episode. Okay, so where do we start then? Let's talk about the different types of bees you get in, in a hive. Okay, so, so there's different types of bees, right? I see a bee, I know one thing, run. <laughs> so you mean that I'm looking at different types of bees at different times? Not exactly. And let me explain. So I think the previous episode we did about ants. Mm -hmm. So in a beehive, the, the structure of bees has some resemblance to that. For example, the ones that you see uh, flying out and about, those are the worker bees, just like how the ants that you see running around will be the worker ants. Now, this, the worker bee is the most common type of ant. So the one that you're running from, those are all worker bees. Bees, you mean? You said ants. I said, sorry, bees. Now, just like ants, the worker bees are all female. So it, it seems like in the, insect, uh, in the insect world, the females are all hard workers. Okay. But these females also do not lay any eggs. Now, that right is uh, reserved exclusively for queens, which we'll discuss a bit later. Now, the jobs of the worker bees are basically everything... Uh, uh, in the hive, so from cleaning the hive, from caring for the young, from caring for uh, caring for the queen, to going out and scavenging for food, so finding flowers to collect pollen and nectar from. And the worker bees also build the hive, so they create the substance called beeswax, and they use those to construct the hives. Uh, but I think we'll talk about the hives and the hive construction yeah, in a future episode. I'm, I'm curious about where, where exactly does the beeswax come from, but I guess we're going we're gonna to discuss that. Yeah. Now, 
The worker bee, their lifespan can vary greatly depending on the season. See, in the winter, when the bees, they slow down, they're not as busy going out foraging for food, they can live for up to six months. But in the summer, when the work demand goes up, they generally live for around six weeks. Six weeks. So their lifespan gets shortened quite a bit. They literally work themselves to death. Yikes. Then the second type of bee you'll get is the drones. Now these are all the male bees. And they are the biggest bee in the colony. But they don't have any stingers, so they rely on the worker bees for protection. Uh, And their main job is to mate with with new queens as they they fly out of the hive to start their own uh, own, uh, colonies, their own hives. Just like how uh, ants have a similar, similar role. So where where did the drones come from? Are they children of the of the queen? The children of the queen. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Now the queen is by far the most interesting uh, qu- uh, species of bee in in the hive. Each hive only has one active queen. Now when a new queen hatches in the hive, um, then they'll they'll fly out. They'll mate with the drones and they'll fly out to start their own colonies. There can only be one queen in a hive. Now, queen bees only mate once in their life. They live for about five years, so they have the longest lifespan out of most bees. And she, once again, is the only female that has the privilege of laying eggs or the the ability to lay eggs. Uh, And she lays quite a bit of eggs. In the summer, she can lay up to 1,500 eggs a day. Mm. And during her whole lifetime, she will, I mean, during a year, if uh, she's operating at capacity, she can lay up to half a million eggs. Just one queen bee, half a million eggs every wow. year. So, I mean, if you, if you think about their lifespan is five years, so she can lay well over a million eggs during her lifetime. Well, if it's half a million a year, you're looking at uh, at least two and a half million in, in a five-year lifespan. Amazing. Yeah, and all that is from mating once. <laughs> so she also is the she's the matriarch of of the hive. So her job is to coordinate everything. All the worker bees sort of report to her in a way, but not not verbally like how humans would do. But she produces pheromones that unifies the hive. And those pheromones is how bees communicate with one another, similar to how an ant structure would work. So how, how exactly do those pheromones work? Are they, are they some kind of chemical that the other bees yeah, perceive they're, somehow? They're a chemical that the, the bees will release into the air and it's sensed, like I think it's smelt by other bees and that's how they figure out what to do. And um, especially if the queen, then they'll know that they have new orders or... Interesting. So basically, smell signals. Smell signals. Now, queen bees, when they hatch, they are just like any other bee. They look exactly the same. There's no difference, uh, at least that we can detect. But certain larvae, bee larvae, will be uh, collected by um, the worker bees, and they'll be fed this special substance called royal jelly. It's a special. It's it's unlike honey. It's a separate uh, type of uh, uh, extract that the bees produce, 
and they feed this to those larvae and it causes those larvae to instead of growing into regular bees they will grow and develop into queen bees so wait how how does that actually happen is the is the choice random or do they actually instinctively know that these are queens in the making it's something that we are yet to understand to us the bees look exactly the same but the bees seem to know which ones to collect and which ones to to feed the royal jelly okay, okay. but uh, we have no understanding into their world yet in that sense All right now if a queen she has a hard life also she has to to keep laying eggs to keep the the hive healthy and to keep a fresh supply of worker bees coming and if she starts lacking if she stops laying eggs the worker bees will kill her she <laughs> because she is now a threat to the hive wow she, okay she, so she has although she's the queen the matriarch she also has a job and if she's not doing that job then there's no purpose to keep her around wow there's so, no mercy in there is there there isn't and what will happen is she will be killed and a new queen will be bred to replace her and uh, that queen will take the uh, now take the role as the matriarch of the colony okay so clearly there's a shift of power that happens there right so the queen is not doing her responsibilities she is normally controlling the hive and if she's not doing her work that means somebody else is taking control under specific uh conditions all right i mean what does it mean that the bee is not the the queen bee is not doing her work what are the criteria you know to say that this the queen is 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 lacking uh, in some way and then who makes that decision it's strange mm-hmm. huh? it's strange the kind of hierarchy that allah taala has placed and that understanding the place because i mean we as humans still grapple with that we appoint leaders the leaders don't do their work and then we 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 sit and we debate for years and years and years about what you know what what are the the, the, the action plans that we need to be taking i mean we seeing that all over the world today but i'm not saying we got to kill our leaders not like that <laughs> like <laughs> the bees but i mean what what are the action plans they have a very de- decisive way of dealing with the leadership crisis inside the hive sorry i'm going into politics and yeah. leadership but i i'm i'm amazed i'm amazed that these little creatures that have that have brains the size of what uh pinheads that have this level of organization and structure yeah. so that means the the control power moves shifts from the queen to whoever else is making the decision and then shifts back to the new queen when the new queen comes about and then the loyalty of the hive is to the new queen now so you don't get the revolt you don't get civil war in there yeah. but it's quite a brutal way that the, the new queen is uh, selected you see when they pick those certain larvae to feed royal jelly to they don't just pick one they'll pick quite a few and they'll cultivate them all in like the same vicinity and if one of those larvae finally emerge and turns to a bee she'll go and kill all the other larvae and, okay. and that's how she'll become queen but if two emerge at the same time two or more emerge at the same time then they battle to the death okay <laughs> and then the winner becomes the new queen wow so amazing so that ensures that the stronger one that's just allah taala's way of ensuring the strongest one uh, dominates queen. yeah okay what else do you have for us okay and then uh, just one little fact to close up sometimes bees they'll form what's called a swarm 
You see, if a, if a beehive becomes uh, overpopulated, where there's too many worker bees now around it, for in, uh, too much for the hive to sustain, what will happen is the queen will leave with about half the population of the hive and they'll go and start a new colony somewhere else, a new hive somewhere else. Uh, that's called a swarm. And then the, the current hive will still survive, but they'll just cultivate a new queen and okay. they'll continue. So As if the queen has died. As if, as if the queen has died. So um, if the hive becomes overpopulated, they basically just split the population into two hives okay, and okay. continue. That um, swarms are actually quite terrifying. I've I've seen one in uh, in a farm somewhere, and that you you just hear that that humming mm. noise coming from like from a, nowhere. And it's a couple of thousand bees migrating all at once. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to get caught between them and their destination. <laughs> okay, all right, awesome. So it's a wrap for today's episode. Catch us next week for the next episode about the bees, which is going to cover what aspects, Allah. In the next episode, we'll go more in-depth about the hive of the bees, what it's made of, how it's built. Wow, that's amazing. That's one for the for the engineers and uh, architects. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, at AB of Creation, to give us feedback on our podcast and let us know if there's anything specific you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.